Welcome to the Folsom Frenzy Podcast. My name is Chase. Today I'm here with Sam, Topher, and Sreyas. Jake could not make it today. And today we're coming after a, frankly, brutal loss to the Arizona Wildcats in Folsom. Last game of the, the season in Folsom, 34-31, Arizona. Um, you know, I don't know what was more disappointing. The team's finding the team finding a way to lose, especially in the fourth quarter, or Ralphie not even making it to the 20-yard line, I don't think, in her last run. Um, but left a lot to be desired. Uh, you know, the, the, not even the flyover. I don't know the people that didn't watch on TV. They tried to do a flyover with a uh, C-130, I think it was, and it didn't even come over the stadium. Like no, everything was was like there, but nothing actually came through. So, Sreyas, you can lead us off. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So someone, someone who I was sitting next to said that was because of high, like upper level winds or something, which I believe because sometimes in Boulder on certain days. And I think I saw it with the clouds too, right? They had those like weird clouds that form right over the flat irons. So that's like a sign there's really high winds up there. I would have been, so that would have been even worse if there was something nasty that happened with them. Oh my goodness. So, you know, I'll take it at the end of the day. Um, but it was still disappointing. It was disappointing not to get the flyover. It was disappointing to have two very, very bad r- runs from Ember. And her second run was her worst of the season. I mean, she did not even want to go to the 20 yard line. I think they turned her before the 20 yard line. She makes the turn really well and gets back, but she just, she just just doesn't run. You know, she just kind of like walks out of the gate, just uncomfortable. Doesn't want to be there. That's a whole other topic of conversation that needs to be had. That'll be a, that'll be an off season podcast. Yeah, uh, that's that's (laughs) The the call for getting rid of Ralphie, uh, Ralphie sick. They'll have uh-huh. to start making sure to say walk Ralphie walk on them. Oh, pain. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> so as far as the actual game, it was, in my opinion, that was maybe the most complete performance we've seen from the buffs all season, especially when you contextualize the fact that TCU is actually very bad. So it's easy to look back and say, oh yeah, obviously the TCU game was their best performance because the offense was good. The defense was opportunistic with those goal line picks from Trevor Woods and from Travis Hunter. But yeah, TCU is terrible. They they might be a four-win team this year. And that was surprise to everyone given, I mean, they did lose a lot, but they still had quite a bit of talent on the roster. And they were coming off of beating Michigan in the playoff. I guess Michigan wasn't stealing their signs. So either way, like <laughs> when you when you remove that context from it, um, or when you add, sorry, when you add that context, it's not, it wasn't very impressive, but Arizona was hot. Arizona came into this game like a wrecking ball. I believe they beat Oregon State. They crushed Washington State. Um, they beat UCLA handily, although UCLA looks like they may be falling apart now too uh, with their backup or third string or whatever, fourth string quarterback, whatever they're on now. Um, it was ugly against ASU yesterday, but Arizona was hot. I mean, they came in, their only losses this year were either overtime losses or a close loss to Washington, which no one was expecting. And CU looked great. And maybe that makes it hurt even more that we not only had a chance to win, but we really we look back and we really should have won that game. We had so many opportunities, but the run defense just could not get it together consistently. There were too many big runs from Coleman and just towards the end of the game. So a lot of people point towards Alejandro Mata missing that kick, but Arizona, they just absolutely wrecked us down the field immediately after that. They could have easily scored a touchdown, but um, they played. We stopped the right, 
they played the right clock management. Um, it, it was the right clock management to just sit back and kick the walk-off field goal. So either way, like at a top level, though, it was a very impressive performance. Shadur was amazing in the first half. And the the defense did play better. So you got to give them a lot of credit. It just stinks because now you look at the Stanford loss, you look at the Arizona loss, like that's her bowl. That's her bowl eligibility right there. So overall disappointed, but, you know, it's, it's I mean, hate these damn moral victories. I'm so tired of them. But compared to last year, when you look at the trajectory that we were on after that miserable season where we were not just 111, but dead last in scoring margin in the entire FBS, and the next closest team was a full touchdown better in UMass, just put that in perspective. That's how bad they were. The next worst team in the entire country in Division One FBS football was UMass, and they were a full touchdown better. And now here we are looking at these close games against ranked teams saying, oh, so many missed opportunities. We could have had it. Could have had it. Looking at the 3-0 start, again, when you look at the goalposts moving, it's it just stinks because you're like, oh, maybe this is already a good team, but we can see that they're flawed in very specific ways. So with that new context in mind, it was very heartening seeing them play well, even though it was disappointing. Yeah, I think you know, I was when I was walking away from the game, I you know, I was trying to figure out like how did how did this game go wrong? Because to your point, Stratus, I thought this was our most complete performance. But I think this loss, you know, like you mentioned, Arizona is a really good team. I think they're a really, really good team. And so to beat Arizona, you have to play your best best game in front of your in front of your home crowd, right? And I for me, it was in the, in the moments that mattered the most, Colorado did not, not make the play that they needed to make um, giving up. So I have it, those two, two long runs uh, from McMillan, 54 yards and 49 yards um, respectively, right? Those are backbreaking because the defense played pretty well, but to your point, they gave up some really big backbreaking plays. And then the one that really sticks out in my head is you make a, a goal line stand and then get that pass interference. I think it was a pass interference or the roughing the passer, excuse me. Roughing call. the passer. And and that is one. So in, in in the stadium, and we we tweeted about this. I think I, I spelled the word wrong, but I, we were like, "That's an atrocious call." I, I hated the call in the stadium. But everyone responding to the to the tweet, I, I didn't watch it on TV, said that it was a legitimate call. So I, I don't know one way or another if it, if it was legit or not. I guess Sam can talk about that. But um, you know, it, it's it's one of those like you you got off the field right. Like they're they're gonna kick the field goal, and then you give them a fresh set of downs, and then every time that we did that. It, you know, they'd get on the, on the short yardage situations. And then it would look like we didn't even run a defensive play. Like we would either go to quarter or have a timeout called and have, you know, a lengthy amount of time to kind of to scheme and game plan and then come out and be just clearly out coached or out, out, out schemed. And that was just really frustrating. You know, it's, it wasn't even like, you know, I didn't feel like, I felt like the O-line played a hell of a lot better this game. Um, you know, Shadur had some time. Srace had talked about last week, you know, when, when we're in garbage time and, and, Shadur actually has some time. You can see how special he is. And I, I actually felt like we got to see that for the most part of this game. Um, you know, if, if Sam had been doing the one beer per sack, he, his life would never have been in danger this week by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so his, you know, his sobriety would not have even been in danger. So I think it's just frustrating because a lot of things went right, but we just played a really, really good team and we did not make the plays when we needed to. And I think that's, you know, they talk about you, you win or you lose big and then you lose small and you win and small win big right and and god it feels like that's the mantra of colorado football right is you know two steps forward one step back it feels like we're going through this cycle over and over again instead of actually getting to that win big um you know section but 
just a frustrating loss. You know, I, I definitely uh, talked more trash than I could, than the team could back up for me to Arizona, all, all 12 Arizona fans that made the trip out to, to Boulder. Um, and then just really quickly before, before Sam goes, shout out to the crowd and the students. I mean, they stayed the whole game. I know it was an exciting game. Of course you should have stayed, but that, that stadium was packed. Um, and you know, it was a great experience. Good way to send the, the seniors off. Um, you know, and I'm, I, I'm looking forward to renewing my tickets next year. I hope we keep the hype going. I know, you know, we're kind of ending on a sour note at home at least, but, um, you know, what a, what a great, what a great season. It was so fun to see Folsom, you know, filled to the brim all, all year. Sam, what were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. It was very hard watching on TV, seeing how close they are yet, how far away they are at the same time. Uh, um, you know, it was just frustrating. Like they're, they're so close, but it, there's aspects of the team that remind me of Carl Durrell coach teams and Mike McIntyre coach teams where you don't beat teams that are more talented than you playing the way that CU played. Um, when you're playing as an underdog, I want to see you be aggressive with play calling and go for the game. Um, it's very, very frustrating to lose playing conservative football. Um, I'm glad our punter had a great game, but if you're in fourth and one for me personally, if you're near the 50, you go for it. I know they stopped them, but they didn't get the touchdown on that drive. I know people are going to say, oh, they scored afterwards or that and all that stuff, but they still lost. And if you're playing games where you're the underdog, you're 10 point underdog at home, you need to take a few chances. And if C would have lost taking chances, I'd be like, okay, you know, they've got, they've got stuff um, to work on, but at least we're coaching aggressive, but they lost playing soft. And that's how they beat TCU. They beat TCU because they took chances. They went for it on fourth and short against TCU and they got it. They on fourth and short, they've run on the, I saw a stat on Twitter. It's like on fourth and short, they've, um, run like 10 runs in a row and converted all of them. They, they are very good at converting fourth and short. They can do it. And, you know, they, they made, you could say they make the right decision. They punted fine. I can live with that, but it's just, it's hard to live with playing conservative. And it's something we've seen a lot from coach prime recently, a coach that was said he was going to be aggressive. And we saw in the first couple of weeks and it's kind of disappeared, you know, and a lot of the things that we'd want to see from a coach where he's like improving game management situations. He hasn't, he's gotten almost worse in clock management and timeout management and stuff like that. And it's very frustrating to see, that because it's there's not a lot of like that's a place where you need to see growth is in coaching decisions in game time management um so hopefully you see that and i thought store played really well in the first half we saw brady mode we saw vic mode we saw legendary mode but in the second half we saw Shermer mode we saw pat Shermer call the game conservatively and they lost they almost won but they didn't and i think in close games you have to play aggressive if you're going to lose, lose aggressive. Don't lose playing conservative and losing on a last second field goal. So, so to respond to that, we, we had some, uh, some group chat back and forth about this and we promised to save it for the pod. Um, friend, I don't know. I don't know if we can count him as friend of the podcast, but Tyler Ziskin on Twitter, uh, we follow each other. So maybe we're friends. Yeah. I don't know. Um, had a good tweet about it. And he said, I'm not mad about not going up for it the three times on the 50 and short yardage situations. We've proven a hundred times that we suck in short yardage. We stopped them all three times after we punted in the game. And you'll remember we scored touchdowns, right? So I think it's, it's hard because no, it's not the popular choice and the crowd, you know, doesn't want to see the momentum stop. 
and it's the more fun and exciting thing to do to go for it in those short yardage situations. But you have to remember our offensive and, and you know, to your point, Sam, they, they have converted, right. But our offensive line has not played particularly well. You know, I've, we've seen so many running plays, you know, Jake is always yelling that we should be running the ball, but you've seen so many running plays where we get absolutely stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And it's one of those, those games where it felt like we were the better team the entire game. So why give them the momentum and the ball at the 50 yard line when we can go and pin them? Cause our punters very good and pin them at the two yard line and basically take away a possession and but then who, go down who, and score. One second. Who's, who's CU's best player? Is it Mark uh, Bassett? Quite possibly in that game, it might have been Mark. Mark no, Bassett. Who, okay, who is CU's best player? It's, I, Shador, I, it's Shador Sanders. Okay, I don't even you, know. <laughs> I mean, you're so this is where Travis I Hunter. this is this is where I don't understand Coach Prime's logic at all. For the overtime controversy where he's picking first to go first, he's like, "Oh, I want to pick first because I trust my quarterback," but he doesn't trust his quarterback to get one yard. Like, it's not the quarterback, Sam. And, it's, can get do, one do you remember yard. that Stanford game? Do you remember that Stanford yeah, game? We went You're, for it on our side. Of the, like we were on Stanford side of the field. I don't think you should do that 29. when you're the favorite. I think you should do it when you're the underdog. If you, if anything, you're the underdog, you need man, to take chances. I'm getting heated now. It's like if anything, if you are the favorite, you should dominate the line of scrimmage and pick it up. And we didn't. And I honestly think the coaching staff is traumatized from that game. And it's totally understandable why. The one position that will always make coaching look bad is offensive line, right? Because if you have a good offensive line, you can run trick plays. You can do all sorts of creative things and have the flexibility and understanding that you're at least neutral, if not winning the line of scrimmage. And some of these concepts and ideas that you're trying are actually going to be effective. That is the one yeah, he, position where CU is not only bad, they're arguably the worst in the country. Now they did play a lot better. They did play a lot better. Yeah, they Saturday. played well that game. And you can't if you get you get burned one time being too aggressive and you just become a conservative coaching staff, that's not how you're gonna win games going forward. I like, think I don't like like we I, all every person on this podcast, I I've heard scream at Carl Durrell, scream at Mac Mike McIntyre, scream at Mel Tucker for punting on fourth and short. And now, since it's Coach Prime, we can't. We can't I, no, I, just, I think I heard every different. one of you guys. But here's Hold the here's no, the, there's no. a difference here because there's we weren't no. at, we weren't at their forty yard line. We were at the, the like we our forty eight or our fifty that's, yard line. That's we're not. I want to hear from Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell was punting from the thirty five yard line. Like he would do that kind of stuff, right? That's not what Coach Prime's doing. We're on our forty eight yard line and pitting them at the two yard line. It's totally different. Dofer, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So we just witnessed one of the greatest punting clinics I've seen from a CU punter in a very, very long time. Right. What? Three punts inside the five. Incredible. That was a. unbelievable. But, um, to, to Sam's point, Brian Howell tweeted this, that on third and one situations, um, when, when facing third and one or third and two, Colorado is 12 for 14 and picking up the first down with a run play and has been se- successful the last 10 times. Last time they failed was week three against CSU. I don't know if that's right. Cause we all that's, remember the Stanford, Stanford or the, did we, yeah, uh, that might've been fourth. Did we pass it? It was a fourth. That might've been, might've been fourth down, but to that point, right. We have to have confidence that we can run the ball. And I, we were I, I see Sam's point of like maybe we go for it, but at the same time, with how good our punter was and how we were playing the field position battle in that first half, because we played that field position battle, it led to points. Giving the offense a short field after a defensive stop 
when we made that conservative decision, it led to points. Um, and that situation, I feel like you just you have to trust your defense and you have to trust the fact that you have one of the best punters uh, you've seen in a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I think Sam. I... Yeah, Sam, you did. You do make a, a valid point that sometimes CU fans are willing to uh, throw, or they were much more willing to throw Carl Durrell or Mike McIntyre or even Mel Tucker to a certain extent under the bus for some of these decisions, and were more reticent to do that for Prime. So I and I I don't I don't disagree fundamentally with your thought processes here, right? But from the bigger picture. We were, that was a really good team that we were playing. And I, and I understand like, you got to do certain things. You got to be aggressive to beat teams like that. But in each of those instances, it did work out in our favor. And ultimately what cost us the game was just completely allowing Jonah Coleman to run wild and their offensive line took over down the stretch. They were able to work the clock. I mean, how long was that final possession? I feel like they got the like ball six back. and a half minutes. It was unbelievable. They yeah. have, I mean, they just, they basically ended the game. Um, wow. Yeah. So they got the ball back with four minutes and 57 seconds left and they never relinquished it. They it never gave clinic. it up. It was acts absolute clinic. Yeah. Like um, I, I can understand, I can understand trusting your defense. If you have a great defense, this CU defense is not a great defense and they didn't they play stops. great, but they, they gave up stops. 34 points. Like, they they played good, but they weren't like if it if you have the 2015 Broncos defense, if you have the 2016 Buffs defense, go ahead, punt it on fourth down short. Trust your defense. You do Sam, not have we, the defense yet are, are, to do are we that. Trying to, are we trying to argue that we would have won that game if we went for it on fourth down all three no, times? No, okay. I'm not saying. Right. I'm not saying. No. What, what what I'm saying is I would rather lose playing aggressive and saying we gave it our best shot, not. We played it safe. We punted. Our punter played great. Best punting performance ever. We lost. Like, I don't want to have that what if in my mind of we we, we might have stopped them right after we missed it on a fourth down. Like, yeah, we got touchdowns afterwards. We could have gotten touchdowns there, stopped them on three downs, got the ball back, scored another touchdown. Like, I want to see them losing playing aggressive rather than losing playing conservative because conservative football is not how you beat teams that are better than you. And I want to see CU beat teams that are better than them. They don't. It's why they haven't beaten a ranked team better than them ever. Like I can't in recent memory, except for TCU. And they beat TCU because they were aggressive. They took chances and TCU sucks now, but I just want to see them take chances against teams that they're not supposed to beat. Like I, I, they might not have gotten it. And I, and I would have still said, I think that's the right decision because you're playing aggressive. Yeah. And I think reasonable minds can disagree. I, I, and I, I want to give a li- at least a little bit of credit to Coach Prime at his press conference saying, you know, we're the coaches. We understand, like, what, what we have and what we don't. And maybe, you know, you just don't have a play that you trust against this Arizona team. Um, you know, surely you must have scripted something. But also you got to remember, you know, who is our offensive coordinator this week? It's entirely possible we don't we don't have a, a play that we trust enough to get one yard. Um, regardless, you know, I, I don't want to beat a live horse, um, as, as we've said on the, on the podcast. But I think, you know, for me, the most – absolutely horrendous coaching decision we made this week was it's third and two on the three yard line and we call a timeout and any, any, anyone, literally anyone who's, who's even remotely been involved in football understands that if you give them the first down, you have to throw him into the end zone. Like if he gets the first down, 
you have to throw him into the end zone because otherwise he's literally kicking a PAT to end the game. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but he gets the first down and inexplicably is still charging forward, trying to score the touchdown. And our defense, after a timeout, it's not like they were caught off surprise or anything like that. Our defense, after that happens, tackles him rather than throwing him in the end zone. Oh, not even we stopped there. We stopped. We too. stopped his yeah. forward progress. It's, That's even yeah. worse. I agree. You can't I, even challenge that. Right. And yeah, so I, for for me, it is it's inex, it's inexplicable because you had an entire t- timeout to explain this to the team, right? And I and maybe I, I was trying to I was trying to rationalize this in my head. I was like, how does this happen? And what I, I came up with is. You want your guys to play as hard as possible to try to stop them rather than give up the first down, but you still have to tell them like, you know, your guy, you got college kids, right? They're, they're smart enough to understand this. You got to throw them in the end zone. And for me, that is like a, that, that might be the worst. And this is maybe a hot take. That might be the worst coaching error we've made all year, even worse than going first in overtime. Like even, I mean, that is like legitimately you lost the game as soon as that happened and it didn't have to happen that way. And anyway, so I'll, yeah. I'll get off my high horse. Now, I, I, this is something I think we all agree on that. That was a terrible, terrible coaching decision. Like, that was my only remember, tweet during the game. That yeah. was my only tweet, my personal account during the game. Like, oh my <laughs> like, god, sure, let him score. Because I can, I can remember watching the game. Me and my dad were watching, and like you can see, like the like it's either they stop him, they get the first down, they get like the tie, only like one yard where you don't want to tackle them, and see you manage to do it. And the worst part is, Coach Prime defend like said that's what they wanted to do in the post game conference. I believe he's or not that that's what they wanted to do. He said like he was okay with it because they're playing hard. Like he yeah. was like, but you can't do you have, like they didn't even tell them. They didn't say, let them score. Like that's just so here's basic the, fundamental game management. I got it. So like the one piece of rationale, like, so I, I never played football, but I'm just trying to put myself in that, in that mindset. It's not a third and one, right? It's, it was a third and five, I believe. So it's not a, it's, it's not a play where, you feel like you're dead in the water and going to end up giving up a first down and not a touchdown, right? It, it, under normal circumstances. So, of course, your number one best option is to get the stop. Of course, right? And as we all saw, man, Jonah Coleman, was that was that DJ Williams or Jonah Coleman who picked up that first down? Both their running backs were very impressive. He just very, very patient runner waits for his hole to come out and he just goes in there and uh, picks it up. And I can totally understand why a player on the field is still thinking in their head, we can stop him from getting the first down. We can stop him. And then just didn't happen. And then, yeah, they stopped the forward progress. I thought that the refs blew the whistle a little early. That's what it looked like in real time. I thought they blew it a little early. And he fell into the end zone eventually, but they had already blown the play dead. So, yeah, I, I but that was my one tweet during the game for my personal account. Um, I was posting all the videos during the game, of course, but for my personal accounts, like should have let him score. But putting myself in that situation where you really feel like it's a it's a stoppable third down, it's a third and medium, and you're going full speed, and you. Maybe in that situational moment, you can't, I mean, maybe you just can't see where the, where the um, first down marker is. It's just, it's a hard play, I think, to turn off the motor. So it's, 
I, I struggle with overly criticizing coaching staff for that. And I also don't necessarily believe that that, again, that that would have cost us the game. I think that we just, we did get outplayed in the fourth quarter. But and, they could have, the, co- the, co- the coaching staff could have told them to let them score. Exactly. Like you like had an you entire have to tell timeout. Them. You That's had an entire true. timeout. So if it, had but it's third and five, time, right? If it was third and no, one, I know, I know. But you have to say during the timeout, you like. That's what that's what the coaching is for, right? The, yeah. the kids are going to play hard. These kids want to play hard. I'm not worried about that. What you got to be telling them is, hey, just be aware. You know, if if he gets a lot of yards, throw him in the end zone. Like you cannot stop him. It, it's that that's the coaching part, right? Is yeah. is th- like the only way I can rationalize it is that the kids were like not thinking about it. We're not aware. And I understand your point. Like they want to make a stop, and I think that's why it happened, right? Because, but it's just I don't know. Like you, that's what you got to be. That's what the coaching staff is for. That's what those timeouts are for. Is exactly more than, even more than a coaching staff. I think it's got to be a captain on the field. Like Shiloh's got to be telling all those guys up there. It's like, hey, if you get oh, man. if if he gets past your heels of where you started right now, you throw it. You throw him into the end zone. You suplex yeah. him across that goal line. Give um, yourself a chance, right? I mean, we, we all saw get it happen. the ball like, back in my brother's hands. And to your point, get the ball right, back in my like, brother's hands. What Sam was saying earlier, you know, Coach Prime is like, "Well, I trust my quarterback and I trust my offense for the overtime mishaps, right?" But you, you, then you must trust him enough to go drive down the field. I mean, how many times have we seen it this season where he has a minute and should work charges down the field and scores a touchdown, right? It's like you, you gotta you, at that point you gotta say, you know, look, we're not gonna make the stop. They're gonna score here. Um, we got to go score. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. It, it just give your, very... give, give, give your team a chance. Like, like I'm more confident in Shador Sanders leading a touchdown drive with a minute left than us blocking an extra point. And like, it's just like basic, basic math that you should be able to figure out that we want the ball ending in our best players hands with a chance to tie the game, not with their kicker kicking a extra point that like a CU kid makes at halftime to win $2,000 from all state. <laughs> like, 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 why? Like, it was just mind-boggling. But also, uh, I think this leads into another thing that I think we have to talk about is the undisciplined nature of this team that has not seemed to get better over the course of the season with penalties. And I know Coach Prime talked about penalties in his post-game conference, saying, "I'm not coaching them to do this. I'm not coaching them to hit the quarterback." Um, there's got to be some level of responsibility on coaching for penalties. I think. You can punish kids. You can say, well, you're not going on the field anymore. If you're going to keep roughing the quarterback, if you're going to hold, if you're going to do all commit these penalties, there's got to be something that you you've, can do. You've seen the tweets where Coach Prime is like promoting fighting at, at practice, right? Like, yeah. If you promote fighting at practice, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have guys that are chippy and try, and, and maybe that's what you want, but you have to be willing to take the penalties. And we can't take these penalties because they are backbreaking penalties. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of that. And like you said, we want to give a lot of deference to, to coach prime, but geez, like it, it's pretty clear. Some of these things that we're, we're tolerating is, is starting to have an impact on wins and losses. Yeah. the penalties yeah, we, lost, we, lost, we, we lost Stanford. We lost against Stanford because of a huge penalty on Travis Hunter. Fourth and 23 sports and like conduct. They were off the field. That would have won them the game. It was a fourth and, and 23 easily... too. That's the part that just kills me about yeah. that. It was not want- even, it wasn't even close, right? That was just, I mean, maybe outside of field goal range too. Oh my goodness. That was de- absolutely devastating. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the penalties, that that is definitely a reflection of coaching. And it is completely impossible to have a team that can compete, especially a rebuilding team like this. It's, it's incredible that they're even in these games. 
like despite the pe- despite the penalties, despite some of the clock management issues, despite the stuff we've talked about, it does give you a lot of hope if you're being glass half full, which I'm really trying to be right now. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> I'm really trying. <laughs> I'll try. Maybe it's delusion. Maybe it's just maybe maybe it's just like years of suffering just finally breaking me down and making me somehow into an optimist because (laughs) I've just seen so bad. Like I've seen so much bad CU football that now even just like moderate hope is, is giving me something, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an issue. That said, I do want to at least acknowledge one substantial change that CU made that I really liked, which was they slowed down the offense. They weren't going at warp speed anymore. And I thought that that was actually really, really effective. They didn't run the ball very well by the end of the game, right? When you look at the numbers, the numbers were still not very good, but they were not working at warp speed. One of the things that I thought was destroying our defense is those quick, lightning fast three and outs immediately after the offense gets the ball. And sometimes it would be after a score, right? Other team would score. The Oregon game is obviously Oregon is just a juggernaut. But the Oregon game was a great example of that. And this was this was like circa 2012-2013 type of CU performance where you just give up the quick touchdown, get the ball back, pass, 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 about two seconds come off the clock, <laughs> maybe five <laughs> seconds if you're lucky, and then you pump the ball back, and then the defense has already just got worn out, is right back out there. So I really like that strategy. And you have to – You, ha- I know – I know we have feelings about Pat Shermer, especially Sam and I as Broncos fans. We got we got feelings about Pat Shermer. And um, Chase, Chase is a Vikings fan. The Vikings fan. Oh my Come God. on. I, for, I forgot. I forgot <laughs> he's, this man keeps getting jobs. He keeps getting jobs. He's like he a cockroach. He keeps getting jobs at teams that I like. Uh, if the so, Avalanche if the Avalanche fire Jared Bednar and hired Pat Shermer, that might that might be the end of it for me. That's the end. But but as much as as much as we got these feelings on Pat Shermer, I thought that that game plan was effective and was a big reason why we were in that game. And it made a difference not to indict Sean Lewis. I think Sean Lewis is going to be successful, even if he stays at CU, if we if they reload and find a way to improve substantially on the offensive line next year. I do think that Sean Lewis and the type of offense that he runs and, and he wants to run can be very successful. But what he was doing with the personnel that we have and on both sides of the ball was not putting us in a good position to win, in my opinion. And I thought that that was, that was something I really liked. And even though we ended up not, I think we scored one touchdown in the second half and it was slow, uh, or the, the offense wasn't moving the ball that well. By slowing the offense down, we at least gave ourselves a chance. And we were either lead or either led or tied the entire game until triple zeros. So, I, 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 again, I, I'm just being optimistic now. I choose to look at that and say, okay, yeah, see, they tried something different and it actually did have a positive impact. And I like that. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you, Sam, you touched on the, uh, per- or I think Chase on the, uh, personal fouls that we're getting and how we're fighting a lot. Um, I will say this last game was not refed very consistently. And I think that was infuriating, not only to, us in the stands, but also to coach prime. Um, so that first roughing the passer that we got when they were on third down, um, even on replay, right? Like he definitely hit him after the ball was gone, but he didn't put his full body weight on him. He didn't lead with his head. He, he knocked the quarterback down after the ball was out of his hands. And to me, I don't think that's a roughing the passer. 
Um, but if that was the standard that they wanted to establish, the hits that Shador took after he threw the ball all should have been flagged. There was a couple yeah. that we got away with. Shiloh got a hit on the quarterback that didn't get flagged. Um, but the one yeah. in particular that really, really did not make sense if you're going to call those personal fouls is when uh, Shador scrambled, um, got hit, and then got a late hit in what looked like it was a back of the head um, from where I was sitting. And because Coach Prime was arguing with the ref about the no call on the targeting or a late hit, which would have been a first down to keep that drive alive, we have to send our field goal unit out there and then burn a timeout because Mata doesn't have the range to hit anything more than 43 and we're at 44 already. Would have turned it into 49. That's completely out of his range. So it was a, a domino effect of bad refing leading to bad clock management, leading to a bad situation. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm so excited to get out of the Pac-12. I hope this doesn't happen in the Big 12, but like the, the refing consistency this season, I think has been one of the worst that I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Topher. I mean, it, it was a even worse call on TV that last hit on Shador. It was the guy hit him right in the helmet. They didn't call it. Um, there's also one where I believe the defender dove at Shador's ankle that we know was banged up before the game after he threw the ball. Um, I actually tweeted. Was that upshot my, too? Was that I think upshot it was upshot. It? Oh my upshot God. also got a roughing the passer penalty in this game. Um but yeah, I think my only tweet of the game was saying after they called the iffy pass, uh, roughing the passer on on us, the one they kept the drive alive for Arizona was like, I hope they protect protect Shador this way, and then they continue. They uh, the refs went on to do the opposite of that and ensure that Shador got more banged up than he needed to. Um, but yeah, like we wouldn't be talking about any of this today if they call that easy penalty on Shador on the guy who hit Shador, we get 15 yards. We probably end up scoring a touchdown and probably end up winning the game. Um, so yeah, it was very frustrating referee. Some decisions that went against CU in that game. Yeah. I, I mean, some pretty blatant both ways though. Um, pass interference calls. I think that, you know, some were soft and some were like just completely missed, including <laughs> offensive PI, a, a, a few of them on, <laughs> on Colorado that were missed. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it all works out. Um, Changing gears a little bit, I do want to bring up the fact it is interesting to me. So the entire game, I went with my dad, and the entire game, anytime we ran the ball, I had to hear Jake was right because my dad is convinced that we needed to run the ball more. And so let's talk about that really quickly. Um, this week, we definitely increased our run totals. I'm going to remove Shador's stats, even though he did have some runs. Um, I don't know how many of them were actually designed versus him just kind of getting out of the pocket. So he had 13 carries. But removing those, we had 17 carries, and, and Jake loves to talk about the uh, rushing yardage average. And, um, you know, it turns out we run 17 times and uh, Dylan Edwards had five carries for an average of two yards per carry. Uh, Hankerson, five carries, 3.4 yards per carry. And uh, Wilkerson, seven carries, three yards per carry. So uh, to, I, you know, I, I don't want to call this one a win. Win for um, team, no, maybe running the ball is not going to solve all of our problems. But I'm ready to call that a win. So, um just, just throwing that out there as well. Um, and then one other thing, perhaps maybe our one of our well, not our worst tweet ever, but one of our worst tweets ever was um, <laughs> saying how automatic Mata was after he made the field goal in the game, um, only to get borderline um, called out by uh, freezing cold tweets for um, his his missed field goal. Uh, pretty pretty obnoxious miss. Uh, I, I don't know, Tofer, Sam. You can go ahead, but Topher, you're the you're the the kicking special. Come come get your guy. Come stand up for your man. Yeah, that, I'm I'm gonna send it right to Topher. That's, uh, that's it. 
So you got the leg. You got the leg for it. He did. He did get the leg into it. Um, yeah, Mata does not. Mata's not a big leg kicker, right? He, those big, more forty-plus yard kicks. That's really going to be pushing his pushing his usefulness, right? Um, the other part of this uh, that I learned after the game is that Feely was not available at that point. Uh, he had gotten injured at one of the kickoffs, and that's why we were using um, Plazano number ninety-eight. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, for kickoffs. So that was kind of an interesting tidbit of you know you're stuck between rock and hard place and you know 44 for a guy that's a 40 and inside type of kicker that's a tough kick but um at the same time you have to hit those <laughs> those are the ones you hit and the fact that you got the leg and you're known as an accuracy kicker it's it's that's a bad luck that's tough luck yeah, yeah. man oh god it's he's great from under 40 <laughs> he's really good historically too, right? I, I feel like he's he's just he's kicks at low balls. You always point out Topher, and he doesn't have a huge leg. And and then he obviously had the blocked extra point against Oregon, blocked kicks in the spring game. But he's he was big in the ASU game. When you look back on when you look back on the ASU game and the CSU game, I mean, dude, Mata kind of won us those games. We would have lost both of those games if he sure. hadn't hit some pretty clutch, pretty like 40-yard type kicks, like right at the edge of his range. So I'm not here to, to bag on Mata. Yeah, that wasn't a great tweet. That wasn't the first time we had tweeted that. Um, and it was actually the, the official CU Buffs account also tweeted the same thing. But I don't know. I, I'm way too superstitious to make taglines like never missing or anything like that. You know, that's not my thing by any means. Um, but I mean, it's cool. He did, he was big for us. And I, I honestly don't think that, that really cost us the game. I, I honestly think that Arizona would have punched it in uh, either way and they would have scored the touchdown. Um, and we would have needed the offense to come back. That's the thing that's tough. We just, not get not being able to get the ball back and answer to that is what really really hurts. So um, yeah, I guess uh, we might need to have a a bit of a chat with the individual who's not here to defend himself about some of his tweets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, with 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 Mata, the way I think about Mata is like what I imagine like like making love with your significant other would be like once you get over forty. Like it's it's gonna be a little rough. Like you don't really know what's <laughs> gonna happen. Jesus Christ! Oh my God. You don't you don't you don't know what's gonna hit what. What? But like, it's so much more rewarding when it works, right, Sam? <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. Holy crap! That's just, that's just what I think of. What's with, the demographic the of our listeners? Sam? We're gonna we're gonna lose our uh, our rating, our our non you know our any PG rating cheap PG rating. Yeah. Um, if anybody's connected with Viagra, we can get a sponsorship going. <laughs> speaking speaking. Of sponsorships, uh, we'll go. Ahead, we'll go ahead and move into our <laughs> our uh, Q Wealth Management player of the game. Go to qwealthmanagement.com to learn more. Um, thank you to Q Wealth Management for sponsoring us. I'm sorry <laughs> that it came up after um, the Viagra mention, but with that being said, we're going to go ahead and give it to Mark Bassett this week um, at punter for the game of his life. Um, you know, even if you disagree with the punting decisions, there's no denying that he he played lights out. I mean, those were. And I mean, what a great game. He put on a clinic. I think his worst punt was one that went out of bounds, but still pinned him at the seven yard line or something like that. Um, so he played really, really well. 
on offense, we're going to go ahead and give it, um, you know, by popular demand, not not my decision. We're giving it to, uh, not that I don't think he deserves it, but <laughs> Shador Sanders, um, who had another great game. Um, I think it was, what, 232 yards? I um, believe it's 262 yards. Shadaddy Sanders. 262 yards, two touchdowns, um, a 69 quarterback rating. Uh, so not bad. That's pretty nice. Um, I, think he, but, I, think he, I think he also wins the award for doing the Shador watch flex on a first down. <laughs> yeah. which, I thought was, which I thought was very interesting. Cause I was like, where does, where, what kind of play do you not flex the watch at that point? Like you gotta be, you gotta be worried about that, that CSU first down when they were down by 36 yeah. points or whatever it was. Um, but I also wanted to give a shout out to the offensive line. I thought they played a lot better. Um, Arizona, we knew Arizona's defensive line was not going to be nearly as talented as the ones they'd seen, but they still played pretty well and, and gave them some time in the pocket. So that was good to see at least a step in the right direction. And then uh, on defense, we're going to go ahead and give it to Amari McNeil. Um, had a really solid game all the way around um, as well. So that's our Q Health Management Player of the Game segment. Sam, you had one other thing to touch on um, with this Arizona game. Yeah, yeah. I I just was kind of something just jogged into my memory when um, we were reading out the running backs that had carries in that game. And there are two names that were absent from that who we really talked about a lot going into the season as people that we thought were going to get a lot of carries. And I think it's Alton McCaskill, who we know is being redshirted for next year, and Cavassier Smoke. Those are two guys that we talked a lot about in the offseason coming in and being we thought Cavasio Smoke was going to be our starting running back when he transferred from Kentucky. There's a lot of talk about him. I don't know if he's gotten a carry. He's maybe gotten one. Like, we keep trying these guys who are either really, really kind of like big, not, they're, they're, I would say they're more bruising backs like Hankerson and Wilkerson. They're not necessarily going to make you miss, but they might like push you for a couple more yards. And then Dylan Edwards, who's an absolute speedster. We don't have even like, we don't have like an all around back who could do more than one specific skill. I would love to see them just try Cavassier Smoke a couple a couple drives. Like he killed it at Kentucky. But he is a really good running back and he's not getting any play time and your running game is terrible. Like why not give him a chance? We saw Ultimate Caskill didn't look terrible when he played. Maybe he had some knee flare-ups that maybe he couldn't do it physically. Um, but I I've just like baffled by kind of like the downfall of Cavassier Smoke's hype. And why not give him a chance? They like, give him a chance. It can't be much worse than two he's, yards to carry. He has two rushes for negative two yards this year. That's the only usage yeah. that he's had. That's well, wild. And to see that he's frustrated on Twitter too, right? Like the fact that he's finally becoming vocal about it. Like you got to think that yeah. there's something going on there. But hey, quick quick note too. Uh, what happened to Tavares Dawson? He was getting a lot of touches early on in the season. He was a key contributor in that Nebraska game. I haven't heard his name called mm-hmm. in a while. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of wild to me. He's he's a speedster. I mean, they were running, they were actually like running end arounds with him and stuff too. He was a huge part of that Nebraska and win. Oh, Marion Miller. Wow. Like, he was huge. Remember the USC game? We thought he was like the best player of all time. And then he's in I've seen him in the game, but there's just no targets. It seems that's very fat. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I do wonder and worry slightly that there are some things happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Like also like Juju Mitchell who was amazing and one of the MVPs of that CSU game with all the tackles, like whatever has been going on off the field with him has obviously affected his ability to play. There's, there's definitely some smoke 
no pun intended in this case. There's, <laughs> de- <laughs> there's definitely some smoke uh, going on behind the scenes here. And, and it's kind of crazy because transparency is the big thing with well off and coach prime and uh, Bucky and all these, you know, all these folks that cover the team, but despite the transparency, there's always, there, it seems like there's certain things that aren't being captured that, that maybe would tell us, give us a little bit more insight in what's going on here. Um, yeah. Like Mitchell, Mitchell looked amazing. And now, now we're being forced to play Trevor Woods at inside linebacker who I love that he shouted out um, BMAC once in a video. And I love his communication. I love his dedication to the buffs, but, he's way too undersized to be an inside linebacker. It looks like a make-a-wish kid is big wish to go play inside linebacker. He's a great player. I love him. He's a good safety. You can't put him at middle linebacker. That's not that's not fair to him. It's not his he, skill set. He made set. some pretty good plays. I actually got, I think he's played running, pretty no, well. No. He's for the, pretty, look back, at, look back well. at the big runs and he is getting absolutely manhandled by an offensive lineman. He can't that play middle linebacker. True. That is, is also safety. true. It's not a slight on him at all. It's just he's being played out of position because they don't have a player that can play middle linebacker. And we were all really, really excited to see Mitchell because he came in and he seemed to play good. And then maybe some of the issues that caused him to play at four year, four schools in four years came up. I don't know. But he's been out of the game and we've we've missed him. I think we missed like we've seen it in the running defense. We we like it's just tough to see. Everyone turned out to be right this year. The critics and the and the people who are rooting for CU, everyone turned out to be right because CU was way better than they were last year. I mean, we still yeah. got two games left, so we'll see how Washington State goes. There, Washington State is they're just not playing well right now at all. They lost to Cal this past weekend. They're on a six game losing streak, so war of attrition. Maybe we'll see how it goes. So yeah, season's not over, but ne- nevertheless, like it turns out, everyone's right. Yeah, CU is way better, but then also. To a certain extent, the piecemeal roster, the short summer, um, losing half the roster after the spring game and losing the other half before the spring game, a lot of that stuff does appear to maybe have added up here into something that is not quite what we all wanted, right? So we all predicted more. Right. I was obvious. I have to throw myself under the bus. I was most optimistic. <laughs> I said eight wins, but I honestly, yeah, the offensive line, if I had known it was going to be this bad, I don't think there's any way I would have predicted eight wins. But yeah, I guess everyone was kind of right. I mean, Montana Limonius Craig had a great game this past weekend. He was a guy that was amazing during the spring game. And then all of a sudden he was gone. So uh, it's not clear to me whether that was, I, it sounds like that was more his choice. Like he wanted to go look. Cause I remember how close him and Shadur were and Shadur was so shocked that he was leaving. So that, you know, that that's a whole other thing, but I think that the, the recency of this roster and inability to gel together and really play for one another is really starting to reveal itself. I know last week we talked about the fact that I was really disturbed by the fact that Shadur was limping off the field in his own so often. Um, that's the type of stuff where you really do want to have a cohesive team that is like play for each other and, you know, play for the, the stereotype of play for the, the name on the front of the Jersey, so to speak. I think we did see some of that negative stuff happening to this year so far. So yeah, and, everyone's and we'll, right. <laughs> we'll talk about it in the off season, but you know, this is what happens when you, when you, you, we built a team of mercenaries, right? You know, Utah's out there 
building, developing guys. And that's not what Colorado tried to do with the, with the Deion Sanders experiment, you know, this season. And I think that's part of the, part of the problem, right. Is we've seen that we lack depth, which we knew was going to happen with this team. And we've seen that there's just not some cohesiveness there that we would have liked to see. So I think it'll get better over time. It did hurt to see, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Montana Lamonius Craig, five receptions, 67 yards. Um, one of our fortunately, favorite players too. That's yeah, one really of my hurts. favorite players. Yeah. had the, I think he had the touchdown catch against Cal and over. He did. Right? Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, to my knowledge, it's so punishing to watch these guys that used to be Colorado players play against us. To my knowledge, he is the last one other than Cole Becker. I don't think Washington State took any any transfers from us. I think they did. I think there's one Naeem uh, Rodman's over there. All right, well, keep that to yourself then, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's uh I mean, every week it's so punishing. Um, but yeah, Sam, did you have something you wanted to add? Uh yeah. I mean, uh, the thing about Utah developing players, unfortunately, we can't have like Britain Covey be here and be like 34 playing against <laughs> people that graduated high school the year before. And Garrett Bowles, who was like 25 or 26 playing offensive line. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's frustrating because they're losing close. And that's the most frustrating way to lose. Like last year, I didn't care. I would like just like not watch the game. I would have the games on, but I was like in like some depressive state somewhere else in my mind where I was like, didn't care because there's no reason to care because it's not close. So I think it's I think like taking a step back and realizing how awesome it is to talk about CU in a meaningful way. Like I, if you've listened to this podcast so far, you probably think, Oh, like they all hate CU or like Sam hates CU. He wants them to lose. So for like, I love talking about CU this way. I'm so proud of what they've done this year. I think coach prime's done an amazing job so far. They won four games. Like if, if you told me last year that we win four games this year, without knowing who the coach was or any of that, I would say I'll take that a hundred percent of the time. It's just now this is the bar. Like the new bar is going to be this going forward. And it's going to be a whole set new set of challenges. We're going to see in the off season of now you've won four games. Can you get to five and can you get um, past the ultimate boogeyman, which is six wins for the CU buffs. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, we're about to do our preview of Washington State. But while we were recording, uh, just a quick shout out. The the ladies came from behind and took down Oklahoma State um, 86-75 in Boulder. Uh, so, you know, we did that special back uh, basketball episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, go give it a listen. But this women's team is rolling. J.R. Payne's got them moving. And uh, that's that's an impressive win against a future Big 12, hopefully rival. You know, we'll talk about this in the offseason. I'm hoping Oklahoma State becomes our rival because they're losing theirs as well. But um, with that being said, We'll transition over to our preview against Washington State. It's going to be an over-under. It's in Pullman, over-under 63 and a half, um, 39 degrees, night game um, in Pullman, uh, Pac-12, Pac-12 beyond after dark for the East Coast folks like myself uh, at 10.30 kickoff. This is like nightmare scenario. Uh, Washington State's a favorite, minus five. Um, I guess it's better, you know, if you're going to go play a, a late November game in Pullman, it's better to be an underdog than favorite, I think, because it's really spooky to be the favorite going to Pullman like this. But Washington State has definitely been a team of uh, of runs, I guess would be the, the nice way of saying it. Uh, beating Oregon State in like a really crazy big win, they kind of looked un- unbeatable. And then they're on a, a huge slide, right? It's like six games in a row or something along those lines. Um, coming into it so Friday night game uh, Friday night lights um, yeah what do, we, what do we think Sam what you got a you got a prediction 
Yeah, I mean, it's always scary going into Pullman because anything can happen. I am, I feel more safe about it that they don't have five wins because that would just be ultimately devastating lost scenario there where I'm sure CU would be up in the last minute and then some crazy thing would happen and they'd blow it and not get bowl eligibility. So having four wins, I think the pressure is almost off them at this point because some people might say they don't have anything to play for, but I think they have a lot to play for because now they're CU football. They, they're going to have eyes on them. They're going to get great numbers for this game. even Because remember, we they, they got great numbers at 1 in the morning playing against Colorado State. People are going to stay up and watch this game, and CU's going to know that. I think they'll go in and pull out a win and finish the season on a high note. I'm not counting playing Utah. I don't think that game ever counts. Um, so I'm saying this is the last game of the season for me personally. I think they pull it all together. We take the good aspects of uh, – of the game against Arizona. My hot take is that they will go for it on at least four, one fourth down in the game. Um, but I think CU pulls it out 31 to 24. Love that prediction. Yeah. So I'll be there. I'm going to be freezing. I'm going. So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if we ever specifically talked about why I've been going to all these games, but some of you may remember early in the season when I tweeted it, but uh, one of my best friends died two months ago and he was actually a bigger CU fan than I am. So I wanted to go to every single game. I missed the Oregon game. I actually, I just couldn't, I couldn't pull the trigger so close to that game. I didn't have tickets in advance, uh, but I I wanted to honor his memory by going to every game for him last season for the PAC 12. So I'll be out there freezing. Um, I actually don't know any Pullman either. One of my friends who actually lives in Parker, which is where I live, uh, He's actually went to Washington State, so I'm gonna try to get recommendations for him. Sounds like it's a pretty, pretty sleepy college town, though. Uh, so it'll be an interesting time. Um, I, I, I do, I think it's gonna be a war of attrition. It's gonna be kind of like the ASU game, and I think just like the ASU game, we have the opportunity to win, uh, like 17 to to 14 type of win. Uh, I really hope so. That would be awesome. It, it wouldn't surprise me if some some like weird stuff happens, and Washington State on their is it their senior day is the Apple Cup in Wazoo this year is it at is in Seattle um either way like towards the end of their season it wouldn't surprise me if they look at this as an opportunity to get right especially after they start off hot they beat Wisconsin earlier this year they beat Oregon State too which is nuts to think about um but I I hope that uh whatever momentum we have from Arizona. Hopefully it is real momentum and it does seem like it to me that they, they found something that was working that was different against a really, really good team that just destroyed Washington state. So um, optimistic for a win here. And then we can go to Salt Lake city and, and lose our seventh game as we always have. Right. We did it. <laughs> I feel like it's a yearly tradition with uh, either McIntyre or Mel Tucker and, and year one coach prime, but I'll take it. That would be great. If we go into Salt Lake city with five wins, I'd be very happy. Yeah, if you meet any real people from Pullman, let us know, Strayus. <laughs> yeah, from so yeah, my my friend who uh, who went to Washington State, he's, he's he's from like Southern California, so he's not even from Pullman. I don't even know if it's a real place. It sounds did he like, get se- did he get sent there, or did he yeah. like, go there of his own volition? Uh, it sounded like it sounded like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> okay, okay. He's, he's very he's very successful now, so uh, I guess that school is pretty good uh, at what they do. But nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Washington State looks very beatable. Um, they they just have a catastrophic meltdown in just all three phases of the game where it feels like they can't get a stop when they need it. 
feels like they can't get a score when they need it. It feels like uh, their special teams will come up short when they need it. Um, so they're struggling, and I think we're coming off of a very like moral victory type of game, right? And um, something that's kind of been echoed and I'm seeing a lot on Twitter is perspective, right? We, we, we have, we've played a lot of very good teams this season, and we have been close in every single one except for Oregon. The only team that really killed us was Oregon. Interesting um, that Strayus didn't go to that game. So it's almost like when Strayus is there. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that Hey, works. Coach Prime, he's not too hard to find. I'm not too hard to find. I'm right here. <laughs> um, but I I do expect for us to put it all together, right? Coach Prime's been echoing it over and over again. We have to learn how to win. We have to learn how to win. And that's a organizational thing. It has to come from the players. It has to come from the coaches. It has to come um, top down, right? Decisions have to be made that are cohesive with how we want to play the game. Um, so give me 31-17. I, I think we uh, get out to a comfortable lead and hold it. I love that prediction. Um, I'll go ahead and give my score first because of how close it is to Topher's. I think it's 35-17, so I'm even more bullish <clears throat> Excuse me, than Topher. Um, here's why. I think we're Washington State is going to overlook us and look at Washington – they're playing at Washington for the last time ever. They're pissed about being left behind. Um, you know, they don't have a conference moving forward or, yeah, I mean, they really don't. They have no conference moving forward, maybe the Mountain West. Um, and so I think we sneak up on them and I think we put a game together. And my hot take for this game is that um, we will have a Dylan Edwards run for over 50 yards, which coincidentally will also be more than the entire rushing total for Ralphie sixth entire season. Um, but I think, I, I, I don't know. I just have a feeling that this game's going to click and I'm sure it's going to blow up in my face. Um, uh, but my, my craziest take is I think we beat Utah. I think this team found something against Arizona and if the defense can play even moderately well, now Utah has a much better pass rush than um, either of these two teams, but, um, I don't know. I, I thought this was a building game and I think we might see something special and I will be putting money on it because I have to. Um, and so, you know, at least I back up what I say. It's not just me, me just uh, making a bunch of things up. And uh, yeah, I, I believe, I don't know, call me crazy, um, you know, and I'll tweet it as well. You know, you can't convince me we lose these games. Um, so with that huge optimistic note, we do have some other news to discuss that is less <laughs> less optimistic um i don't know which one we let's start with the recruiting news first so today um is it winston winston Watkins? Winston Watkins um yeah. the five star four star five star wide receiver yeah. um decommitted did- allegedly because um he said that he didn't know if coach prime's going to be in colorado next year that'll segue into our next thing we'll talk about after this about how texas a and fired jimbo fisher today I well, think uh, he's class a, of 2025, yeah. so yeah. the fall of 2025 is when he's worried about Coach Prime Which is, in Colorado. To be fair, I, 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 it's just hard to get up for recruits to commit more than three days before the signing period, but let alone two years in advance. You know, it's like okay, that's cool. We appreciate the thought, but in I mean, this case, it was like three years in advance because he was committed yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah. So that's so. not that one doesn't hurt quite as bad. Um, the one that really hurts is Chandler, the guy who's been basically on the recruiting team for Colorado is rumored to be um, flipping over to Mizzou. Hard to blame them. Mizzou's rolling. They look really good. Um, I hope they return to what they have been historically in the sec. And uh, maybe, maybe he reconsiders, but that, that one's a gut punch because 
he was a guy that seemed like he was going to buy in. Um, he was recruiting for us. It kind of reminds me of, um, was it Ty Neal or the kid out of uh, the Colorado Springs High School or, or uh, whatever it was that ended up going to North Carolina State? Oh, NC man. State. I remember uh, who you're talking about. Oh, it's Yeah, who was like all about us on Twitter and then like turned on us on signing day and went to NC State. And then, by the way, never played. I was going like, to say, the fact that the fact that we don't remember who it is is a pretty Wait, good Was it the quarterback? Yeah, it was the quarterback. Oh, my God. What was his name? We'll uh, think of it. Uh, you know, this, this is why we need Jake. Ty Jake Evans. Like every Ty Evans. Ty Evans. Yeah. Evans. Um, and so it kind of reminds me of that, where you have this kid like hyping up the class, tweeting at other recruits, and then flipping at the last second. I get it. I understand where they're coming from. You know, we've lost momentum. We're not on on Fox every day. It's not as exciting. But I think you got to remember, like, this is a rebuild. And Coach Prime is going to tell you, like, this is a rebuild. Um, but I also understand why. You know, may, maybe they don't know if Coach Prime's going to be sticking around. Um, so, yeah, Sreyas, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's that was tough. I definitely knee jerk reaction. Saw the Ch- Talon Chandler. The, the Talon Chandler one is what really freaks me out because that is a position of desperate need. And he's he and unlike Watkins, he was coming in next year. I think Prime can always get skill position guys, but I think. He well, he he's come out and said, and this is this is something that I think people rightfully criticize is he likes to build from that from the outside in, which does not seem like a very sustainable method of um building a, a football program when you look at how some of these yeah. other schools have done, it, especially like Utah, right? Or so bu- the, building anything really. Like yeah, if you're thinking about like basic, honest. basic architect, like if you're building like an airplane, you don't build the tips of the wings first. No. No, you all, exactly. you don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just build things from the inside out. Like, like Reyes is a rocket scientist. We yeah, but here's so, so, yeah. I was gonna say, Sam, <laughs> you don't Sam, start the other from thing, the wingtips. <laughs> yeah, but, but the other thing is, you also do have to build subsystems separately too, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's clear that Prime knows how to to build like the secondary, build like bring in good re- receiving talent and running back. So that's the thing that's funny, right? We we talked about all these running backs we brought in, but because of the offensive line, like absolutely none of them has been able to show anything other than Dylan Edwards had one really amazing game to open the season. We got four touchdowns against TCU. That's really been it. So that news definitely concerning. I am such a beaten down CU fan over the years that I'm still like after the initial shock of it all. Now I'm just sitting back be like, okay, well, let's see what we got. You know, it's a long, it's, it's a long way to signing day still. And we really need major, major changes, not just from high school recruits in order for this prime stuff to work. Cause prime, I think he really needs to win next year. He, for his own sake, cause that's his, his son. I mean, if Shadur even comes back, I think he should, and he will, because I think his draft stock has kind of sunk a little bit. Um, just frankly, because of the offensive line, you know, honestly, yeah. they haven't been able to, he hasn't been able to show off his, his gifts, which are apparent to anyone that's been watching, but I think he needs to win next year for his for his own sake for Travis for Shiloh and for Shadur his three basically his three sons right he talks about Travis like he's one of his sons and in order to do that we need the we need anyone any Casey Rod- I, I, I can't remember who said that we need we need Casey Roddick we need an offensive line transfer that can immediately plug in and be good I was like oh crap that was a CU guy <laughs> <laughs> um, but. No, that's that's what we really need. And having a guy like Chandler, though, still bodes really well for the program long term, like building 
those really good trench guys. Um, yeah, Watkins though. I, so he was he was a five star, I believe, when he committed, yeah. and it's it sounds like even though he has an unbelievable offer list, he's a little undersized. I get that he's still got years left. He's still a twenty. He's a twenty twenty five grad, right? But he, he's he's five ten, one seventy four. He's on the smaller side, right? He's obviously got speed, which is amazing. His his highlight reel is pretty impressive, but some of the chatter that we saw on our on our feed and in response to our tweet today was that he hasn't looked that impressive this year. I can't speak on that. I haven't seen it. But nevertheless, it's like these skill positions, I believe Prime can get the skill positions. They're more or less dime a dozen. It's the trenches. Those are – it's kind of amazing how that works, right? Because if you're new to football and you you haven't been watching football that long, half the time you don't even think about the offensive line and and how much of – how significant they are in affecting the outcome of a game. But seriously, it is the building block of everything. It's what allows you to be creative with your offense. It's what allows you to try different things. It allows you to dominate the game and run the ball with effectiveness and consistency, which is what CU really lacks this year and really cost them dearly numerous times. And that's the position where we may be, I think, actually, no, not maybe. We definitely are the worst in the country. I think it's without question because – we're not running the ball. I mean, we can't move the ball, right? It's not It's not even just that we're not running the ball. It's like we can't move the ball when we try to run. And Chase, thank you for the statistics earlier, right? That really validates what we see with the eye, like with our eyes. Like when you try to commit to the run, and it was good that we burned down the clock and we moved slower, but we didn't we just couldn't get big plays. What was our long rush? Eight yards? Six yards? Um, it was nine, nine yards. It was a nine yard. Shadur, Shadur had a longer one, but like oh, actually yeah, planned yeah, yeah. run. True, true. Yeah. From our running backs, right? So yeah, so that that's that is the biggest position of need. I, I need I am very, very, very interested to see how that gets filled because that is gonna have a great impact on how much hype there is next year. Yeah, like I I, I agree that I'm not too worried about the the Winnie Watkins decommitment. I think we have Aaron Butler who's coming in next year, I believe, who does seems to be a similar size, similar kind of game-breaking athleticism talent who's actually sitting out the rest of his high school season to prepare to come play for CU. Um, but it's also interesting with Winnie Watkins, he's a five-star until he goes to Colorado, and then he's a four-star, and then when he decommits, he's a five-star. So you can kind of see some of these recruiting companies that have their have their own seemingly grudge against Coach Prime where when players go to Colorado, they lose a star which we've seen, I think we've seen in the past before players get rated lower once they commit to CU, which is interesting. But yeah, the Chandler thing is going to be just terrible if they can't get him to stay. It's very, it, the timing of it, it just doesn't make sense to me because they just recently got their quarterback for that class, I believe. Hill's 2024, right, Serez? No, he's 25. 25, okay. But yeah. still, like, he was, the, they have his quarterback that he'll probably play under, and then he leaves. Danny O'Neill, right? I mean- Danny O'Neill, yeah. Yeah, He's coming but, in next year. Yeah, but I think they're they're gonna have to find talent through a portal. Um and you're gonna have to look to programs that have just lost a head coach and uh, have people that want to leave, which I think is a good segue into the other big news of today is that Texas AM has fired Jimbo Fisher and is paying him seventy-six million dollars through twenty twenty to through twenty thirty-one, I believe. To have them to have him not coach for them. Um, How do I get reports, that job? 
Yeah. And reports are they're willing to spend upwards, maybe that total like a hundred million after hiring a new staff and buyouts and all that stuff. Um, so I think that's a school you can look at for talent, but it's also a school to look out for if they want to poach Coach Prime from CU, where I've seen some initial lists where Coach Prime's not on it. They're looking at Dan Lanning. They're looking at Jed Fish. Um, yeah, Jed Fish so, or um, the Washington coach. So I don't think there's a lot to worry about because I don't think Texas A&M will go for the risk, the riskier pick here when there are so many head coaches they can get. Um, but it certainly would be a different story if CU was seven and two, or if CU was still ranked. Like I think then I would be really scared. But it's, it's definitely certainly an interesting conversation with Texas A&M. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think one thing I want to remind everyone: if if you have not read the contract between Prime and Colorado, if he leaves this season, it's a fifteen million dollar buyout. So while it would be absolutely soul crushing at least CU would be on the right financial footing to be able to make a hire. So with that being said, obviously none of us want to see that happen. I don't think it's realistic. One of the schools that would be scary is Texas A&M maybe next year, or if Colorado's really rolling, right? Texas A&M has the money that they want a surefire thing. That's what they thought they had in Jimbo Fisher. I don't necessarily blame them for thinking they had that in Jimbo Fisher, right? Like at the time that seemed like a, a slam dunk hire. He had Florida state rolling, but in my mind, you know, Texas A&M is one of those schools where Prime Prime, and uh, Rick George, right, are, are like BFFs, you know, you know, I was going to say BFFs forever, which doesn't make sense. But, um, <laughs> you know, like for whatever reason, Prime also has that at Texas A&M, right? It's where he's from. He, he loves Texas. Jerry Jones is, is very involved at Texas A&M. Um, and so, you know, there's there's all those kinds of factors. But I just don't see Texas A&M making the, the risky decision there. And going for prime when they can go after a Dan Lanning or they can go after a, you know, really whoever they want, right? Money is not an object at Texas AM whatsoever. Um, and so I, I've kind of decided like if, if that's what happens, so be it. Um, but I just don't see it happening based on, you know, it, maybe it's a little bit of a blessing that we're going to get an extra year to kind of rebuild before we actually start rolling. But we tweeted about this today um, a little bit controversially, but you know, it's, it's not going to go away, right? Like the, the rumors coach prime is going to be on every list. And the reason for that is if you guys saw the tweet, you know, applications are up. We're, we're going to have something like, what was it? 90,000 out of state applications for, for 7,000 spots. 7, spots, right? Like that's, that's insane. What's going to happen to our, our acceptance rate, right. Is going to fall. And so like what school would not want that, not just from a football perspective, of the recruiting and, and the, the brand, but also from the, the, the school building aspect. Right. And, and that's gonna be really compelling. I just don't think that's happening at Texas A&M, right. Texas A&M can go and take pretty much their pick of the litter other than Kirby smart and, and Nick Saban. Right. Like other than that, if it's a money thing, they can get, get people to jump. Now, is it the most desirable program right now? I, I don't know. Um, but the bigger story here, at least in my mind is coach prime is going to be on every list. And I can't remember if it was Strayus or Sam who, or, or Jake who said this at the beginning, but Coach Prime is going to be here as long as he wants to be here. There's nothing CU can do to, you know, outspend some of these other schools, especially with the conference affiliations changing and the big money difference that's going to be moving forward pretty much forever. Um, but, you know, Coach Colorado needs Coach Prime a hell of a lot more than Coach Prime needs Colorado, and I really hope he sticks around. But we have to be prepared for the fact that, I mean, these rumors are going to start and they're not going to stop. And and the better we get, the the more loud they're going to be. And we got to remember that we got to appreciate the time we have. And and who knows how much time that is. Um, 
but yeah, kind of interesting that the domino fell so far so early this season, especially after they won the game, what 52 to 10 over Mississippi state. So imagine, imagine winning 52 to 10 and then being told we're going to pay you, you know, $70 million to not coach for us anymore. That sounds like a, that sounds like a perfect day to me, Chase. (laughs) You win a football game by 40. Someone says you don't have to work anymore. And also here's $76 million. I can't imagine a better, and you don't have to live in College Station. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, is, it is all that's about a dream. It's all about perspective, I guess. Yeah, that is pretty unbelievable to think about. Um, this is unprecedented. I I don't know if this will ever be matched. I could only see this being matched, like if for some reason Steve's oh, Michigan State got out of it. I think they may have got yeah. out of it because of show clause. They might have actually been <laughs> under yeah. the hook for more. Uh, but man, Mel, Mel Tucker, man, you, he really screwed himself. No pun intended there either, but, uh, all right. I had enough. Both, both of those puns were intended. Both of those puns were intended. I'm tired of you pretending that they were not. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think it's, it's rational for prime to leave this year with his, like I said, his three sons, right. Including Travis being at CU and you know those transfer rules that we changed that were that they changed that we were frustrated about or whatever concerned. Thank goodness for that, right? If you get a free second transfer this hold year, hold on, hold on, because if your head coach leaves the program, you get a free transfer. And I didn't think about that. So if Prime that leaves, don't you need don't you need a waiver still? Because uh, what's his the offensive Tyler Brown, right? His head his coach, coach left. Di- his coach died on the field, and yeah, like one of his coach, right? Exactly, he had a past coach that like died in front of his eyes. Or God, something. I hope the NCAA was drawing lines there. And, and oh. he didn't technically get fired. I'm like, oh, well, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll, oh we'll consult our, we'll like, consult our legal team. Yeah. His, the his, NCAA said that, not me. His, his heart yeah. got fired. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, the NCAA Christ. is evil. The NCAA is a truly evil organization. They're awful. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is, if it's a pure money thing and then they just like, allow some waiver to make it so that Shadur can go there or whatever. But if I'm Texas A&M, you had a master recruiter, Jimbo Fisher. He had number one recruiting classes multiple times and did absolutely nothing with it. Absolutely nothing. Jimbo Fisher at CU, if if we had Jimbo Fisher results at CU, CU would be stoked on him. They'd build a statue for him already. I mean, with how bad we've been, these like seven and five. I mean, last year they were five and seven. That's not great. But before that, I mean, they beat LSU at the end of the season. That's like a great win at the end of the season to make you feel good. They did they had, almost lose to Colorado two years ago under Carl Durrell. Just so awful. That was an awful football game. One of the worst football games I've ever seen oh. in my entire life. Agree to disagree, Shreyas. That game was awesome. No, no. <laughs> Bre- then Topher, you would love Big Ten football. Let, let, let's- <laughs> Iowa, Iowa Rutgers. Um, Iowa Northwestern. Anyone against Iowa? No, any game where you have to watch Brendan Lewis attempt to throw football is a bad game of football. He's like watching him throw the football looked like Tim Tebow throwing with his right hand. You also got to see Jarek Broussard run all over that defense, which was pretty fun for a half. For a, yeah, for half. They yeah. scored like did they score ten points? They scored. Like I think we scored points. seven points. Yeah, seven to thirteen. It was like someone slowly putting a knife into your heart. It was where bad. he's like, oh, Texas A&M's gonna score now. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, big, they're gonna score picture. this drive. 
But big picture, though, yeah, Texas. So if we had Jimbo Fisher results at CU, we'd be stoked. And, and Chase, we were talking about this earlier today with Penn State and how uh, like crazy the expectations are there. Like when the money is there and the resources are there, you're going to expect much higher consistency and much higher things to happen. And man, Franklin's getting cooked today. It is. It seems like. I was on Twitter today and just looking at all the comments. It's like almost unanimous. I know, Chase, you're not on the Fire Franklin train from what we were talking about, but it's like near unanimous amongst that fan base. Like, oh, the coaching is so bad. And they fired their offensive coordinator today, didn't they, right? Yep, and that's that's the smoke before the fire. So, uh, oh my I mean, th- I mean that's the difference, right? So for, for people who don't know, I got my graduate degree at Penn State, so I'm a, I'm a Penn State fan as well. And it's crazy how different the the level of expectations are and, and maybe for good reason, right? They're they're selling out their stadium of 107,015 minutes. They're it's just different, right? They have the entire state behind them. They're not splitting the pool. They're so um, it, it is crazy, right? Because if 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 James Franklin did exactly what he's done at Penn State at Colorado, to your point, right? It would be Franklin Field. Like they would tear Folsom off the the front of the stadium and call it Franklin Field and and uh, give him a lifetime I mean, like contract. The, I mean, but, yeah, that, 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 that actually yeah. to Folsom. There, there that, is that a Franklin be, that, Field yeah. already. That would be very confusing because Franklin Field is the name of the field directly next to Folsom currently. Chase. <laughs> I actually did not know that. That's, that's, oh, really? Uh, today what? I learned. You're yeah. the tour guide. <laughs> we never, believe it or not, we never gave a tour of the the auxiliary field next to Folsom Field. That, that didn't field. exactly draw. Yeah, that's the... where like all the intramural games were and stuff before they built that. Oh, you guys, you know what? You man, you youngins, you weren't there when they before the Champions Center. Was all there. of our fifty year old uh, oh, listeners are so happy with Strayus to hear about Franklin Field where they used to play the <laughs> intramural. <laughs> Yeah. in 1927 yeah, yeah but oh, I, I, back I, in the day. I think i think james franklin is okay until we see his press conference where he pulls out a giant picture of a nittany lion walking into a snowstorm <laughs> then then james franklin's in trouble oh uh, so many of our references so many of our references are are pre-prime and a lot of our listenership is post-prime so you know we have all these great references with absolutely no payoff but oh, um yeah, you know, speaking of not being to death, uh, you know, unless you guys have anything else, I think we'll probably go ahead and, and close this one out. Um, we're already running a little bit long on the Hey, episode. we got to shout out the women's team. So during the podcast today, uh, we were watching this on the side as we were recording, but the women's team did pull off a, a nice comeback win after blowing a pretty decent size first quarter lead. So that's against Oklahoma State, too. That's a pretty good women's program, and it's a power five team, obviously, or power six, whatever it is in basketball. So good win. Good win for the bus. Like we love seeing that. Um, it, it looked like we saw some crowd shots too. People are starting to support the team a little bit more. Um, I'm definitely going to go to a couple games as soon as I can, uh, maybe later this year, but we're excited about that too. So yeah. buffs basketball, both women's and men's is coming and it's so far so good. We love what we see. Yeah. We're so excited about the women's team. We'll talk about them twice in the same podcast. That yeah. that's the kind of the, the depth you get from Folsom Frenzy podcast. We'll, so, we'll shout out the buffs twice. With that being said, uh, thank you everyone for listening. If you love uh, hearing about the CU women's basketball teams more than once, um, please give us a five star <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Um, follow us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days, Instagram. Um, and hopefully we will see. You. We all predicted a win for Washington State. Hopefully we're not let down. So we'll see you guys next Sunday, or I guess Monday mornings when we post these. Um, after a win in in Pullman. So, let's go Buffs, and we'll be back soon. Go Buffs, baby. Go Buffs.